Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. An Erio's original. So what she proceeds to tell me changed my life. She says, I don't know if you want to do this, but I see you writing for TV. I love those layers. There's so many layers to The Onion. We used to say, any story in The Onion is going to be five times funnier than any story in any other publication, even if it's not as funny. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. Welcome, our guest today, Leslie Arfin with an amazing tale of psychics. Yeah, coming out of the dark. Oh. a fan. Thank you. That's and so I nice. have been for a really long time. You're and my amazing. best friend who is now passed, but his name was Ben Cho. And oh. we were obsessed with you. And he was oh. always like, I think we're related. And I was oh. like, you definitely are. Oh, down. I love that. Yeah. And so That's I really awesome. appreciate you Thank having you. me. Thank you. A mere pedestrian. <laughs> no. On your podcast. No. Well, it's fine. I, I feel like, you know, very okay with being a worker among workers. It is pe- good. You know what I mean? It's good. I mean, we all are. Yeah. We all are. I mean, I think it's like, to me, I really respect what you do because I have no patience to sit there and write. <sighs> I hate it. Me too. It's hard. It's the hardest. It's the hardest but thing. But you do it in such a great way. I. It's not graceful. I mean, like, I, I do it because I can't not do it. Yeah, but it's really hard and it's not fun. And I don't know why anybody would choose. I'm going to be a writer. It's like, don't don't make that choice for yourself. How did you start? Well, I started and I was going to say this ties into the story that I really wanted to tell you, okay. which is my psychic story. Yeah, but I started writing for Vice magazine when I got out of college. So I majored. I went to Hampshire. I, I knew I wanted to do creative writing at college Mm -hmm. and I was I start I started interning at Vice when I graduated from college and at the time Vice was there were six people who worked there Mm -hmm. there was one other woman um she was the office manager and I would read the articles in Vice and they were some female writers and I was like oh my god I didn't know I could write stuff like this, yeah. like the Vice Guide to Eating Pussy, and, I, and yeah. it was by Christy Bradnox, and I was like, that's what I want to write. Like, yeah. I know where I want to work, I know what I want to do, and I went and I and I found out that it was a fake name, and Gavin McInnes had written it, and he had just used fake names to see, so, Vice, so it seemed like Vice had more writers, Oh, uh-huh. that they were like a very large staff, yeah. but they didn't. They uh-huh. had one female writer who wrote a column in Canada and that was it and so Mm. I was like hey can I review this album and can I do this and I just would ask and then they were like yeah give it a go they they needed writers who would work for nothing right and so and then 
I took over that Canadian writer's column, mm-hmm. Dear Diary. Mm-hmm. Wrote that. We made it into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked Lena if I could write on her show, Girls. Mm-hmm. And I had an agent because of the book. Yeah. And this ties into my psychic story, which we'll get to, but I didn't know TV writing was like a thing I could do. Yeah. Like I thought it was like, like Harvard guys. Yeah, and of course. That's it. Like of all course. I had ever heard was like the Simpsons and Conan. It's like Harvard guys. Right. And I just didn't, it was, it never occurred to me. Like I didn't, I didn't study film or TV or communications even. Like I went to like a hippie school in Massachusetts and I did poetry mm-hmm. and like short story writing, which was like, like who's writing short story? I mean, like uh-huh. people write short stories, yeah, yeah. but like, yeah. it's not, it, it wasn't, I wasn't very good at it mm-hmm. and it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Writing for funny, funny was for me. I just didn't yeah. know it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's how... I started making money as a writer, but while I worked at Vice, I also worked a thousand other jobs. I lived in New York. I'm from New York. Mm -hmm. I worked at a hotel for many years. Mm -hmm. I worked retail Mm -hmm. all over and then worked the door at clubs and coat check and what, I mean, I'm trying to think of what else, because I did so many, I DJed. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow that's cool it was like in the early 2000s yeah like, oh like anybody can dj mm-hmm. and so i would do that um yeah so i worked like a thousand jobs and wrote advice until i moved here to write for girls and okay. joined a union and like started paying taxes yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that's how it all happened and and girls was such a genius show i know it was really, really it was really fun and unlike any other writer's room I've ever been in still. Yeah. It really changed, I think, the perspective of writing for young women and and actually gave it so much gravity, Mm -hmm. which it never had before. I totally agree. You know? And Lena was so brave. Yeah. And honest and like... Just great. So great. And funny. And it was fun to do it with her because it was her show, but... She had never worked on a TV show either. Mm-hmm. So we, it was like, it never felt, it never felt, and, and she was doing it with Jenny Connor, but I never felt like I can't do this. I don't have a voice here. I'm too green for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just very open. Yeah. Which was, which was really important because then it was like free to be anything. Totally. You know, and that's what made it so, um, I think, profound because it was like this this doesn't have to be like Gossip Girl or, right. you know, anything that we've seen of girls on t- television. This is like really new, but also so, so much like it was like a, a heart opening. Like I got, I, I just got it. Totally. In a deep way. And it was such a big deal mm-hmm. for her to be 24 mm-hmm. and have a show on HBO. Yeah. It was like, I mean, like there, there's now there's a lot of TV shows. It's just a lot it's bigger everybody has their own show kind you know what I mean yeah, it's just yeah. different but yeah. at the time I was like my friend called me and she was like you're gonna write Lena Dunham's doing a show on HBO with Judd Apatow you're gonna write on it uh-huh. and I was like I I'm I don't know how to do that I don't I don't know how I'm gonna do that she's like I'm gonna tell you uh-huh and she was like you're gonna write a spec script what's mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. didn't know she was like 30 pages, make it have a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Don't try to be funny. Just be yourself. Tell a story. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can mm-hmm. do that. Can you loan me the money to get final shot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Nicole, this is my friend Nicole Beattie, who's a writer still, and she was like, I wrote on Deadwood, and I got kicked out of University of Arizona. Like, you mm-hmm. don't have to be a Harvard dude to do this. Right. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And yeah, like, that's great. Which was awesome. Yeah, that's really great because it's like the the I just the fear of not being a Harvard guy can keep you out of these things, you know, like just the fear of like not knowing what to do. So somebody telling you is really that's really great. It was awesome. And like it was still like it was I guess it was like 10 years ago. So Mm -hmm. it was not that long ago. But 
that's when I started writing for girls, but like the stuff that came before that and when I was around like late 20s, early 30s and maybe I was just like a little bit more, a little scared, a little bit in denial, didn't have my ear, didn't have as much confidence, didn't Mm -hmm. have my ear to the streets as much, but I just didn't think these things weren't even options for me Mm-hmm. Because I just didn't think that I was allowed. Like I, yeah. and I was still waiting for permission to be smart yeah. enough or yeah. like funny enough. And it's like, whatever, just try it and fail. Yeah. And like, worst thing that happens is that you fuck up and then you get back up again. I mm-hmm. mean, not to quote like the troll soundtrack. I also have a kid now. So it's like, <laughs> my references are like really bad. No, but it's good. <laughs> no, but it's good though. It is good. It's like, just do it like we don't need permission yeah we've been waiting for permission for so long and like we just don't need it and like i would hear people say that like i would hear you say that Mm -hmm. in your stand-up but i just didn't think it applied to me yeah yeah like i still was like well i'm not old enough i'm not rich enough i'm not in la i'm just you know it and that that's like the lie that's my that's on me yeah like that's not anybody's fault there is Mm -hmm. nobody to blame but like I was still like in the Lower East Side and Brooklyn, you know, up in the scene. Like there are girls who are and women who are my age who mm-hmm. like all over the country who certainly didn't think it was available to them or yeah. it was an option. Like yeah. much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Like my confidence and my low self-esteem was really like a block for me. Yeah. And like still is like I'm not immune to it. You no, know? we always that's the biggest thing that we come up against is our own critic and our own like imposter syndrome which grows up alongside our creative self that is like there to stifle the creative self you know it's like the yeah the bad twin that constantly tries to silence you because it's like the only, the only yeah. thing they can and it's really that's your main opponent is your own self-doubt would you say that's like our super ego yeah or, okay yeah and it's our shadow side Right. And it's this and it's actually the stuff that 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 in the interior of that shadow side makes our writing interesting and relatable and dark and nasty. But we have to get through that opponent to be able to share that. So it's a very it's a weird creative journey, you know, because it's like when you're trying to create stuff and you have like this thing that's trying to stifle you while you're doing it. It's really hard because we're strong. Yeah, we can we can shut ourselves down easily. It's just so bewildering to me how strong that voice is. Yeah, because it's as strong as we are, but it's like, you know, it's it's just there. It's always easy to contain things than let them out. You know, it's weird how that how that is. It's like easier until it's not is the thing. And that is why I think I can't not write. Yeah, because I get to a point where the easier thing to do is for me to let it out. Yeah. It's just too that's hard. Great. I mean, thank God. That's really great. Totally. That's that. That's lucky, you know, because there's yeah. so many people. Like, it's weird. Like, as I've grown and grown up in in around comedy and learned so much and met so many people, there are so many people that are so brilliant, but they just can't let anything out, mm. you know, because their inner critic is too harsh. It's like their their like inner shadow side is too much of the darkness won't allow the light in. It's very. It's sad. So you see all this brilliance around just die. Totally. Within that artist, you just don't see it again. And it's really, it's 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 the people who just work on letting it out that, that really succeed. So I really have always wanted to tell this story on a podcast. And, um, and I have a podcast, but my podcast is about me talking to other people, not so much about me. And I didn't, mm-hmm. so again, I'm really grateful that you had me on I just think it's like it's a cool story it's one of my if not the only as a writer it's sad to say this but it's like the only story that I have Mm -hmm. like or at least like the only really good one and that do you believe in psychics like what's your stance on do you have do you talk to a psychic regularly not regularly but I have had really amazing experiences with different ones over time Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah I think it's like I'm not sure about all of the ones that I've met but some Mm -hmm. of them have been really perceptive well I've always been my whole life really really interested in the occult and Mm -hmm 
and psychics and things of unknown origin. Yeah. And I just and I just had never had a good psychic experience and I had had a handful at this time and I was around in my late 20s and like I'd had a handful and they just weren't I could just feel it it just Mm -hmm. wasn't it was never right and I was always like I really like believe in this thing but I've never had a good reading Mm -hmm. and I'm not I was always open-minded and I felt like I was I, I didn't not believe in it it just at at this time it wasn't on the forefront of my mind. Yeah. I'd had some experiences. They weren't good. And my mom had gotten um, a psychic medium as a gift. Mm-hmm. She's a social worker. And it was her birthday. And her th- her, fr- her mother had passed. Mm-hmm. My grandma died a while ago. But my mom was really close with her. And she got this gift to talk to this really talented medium. And my mom didn't want to. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't for her. She has. She just didn't want this woman to say anything that she felt like wasn't true about mm-hmm. my grandmother, whom she had a very specific and close relationship with. She was like, I'd rather like not know. Yeah. So at the time, I'm in Sweden, and mm-hmm. I was there for a copywriting job. It was like one of my freelancey jobs for a vodka company, mm-hmm. and I was about to board the plane. I was there for a week and I got a stomach virus and I had to stay overnight at the airport at the Radisson. It was like mm. Swedish Radisson, super nice. Yeah. Very clean. But I was miserable. It was an awful, awful stomach virus and I was so homesick mm. and regular sick and so lonely Yeah, that I called my sister who I'm not a phone person in general and mm-hmm. I definitely am not good at calling my family mm-hmm. but I just needed to talk to somebody at the time and yeah. I called her I didn't know the time difference I was so sick I was like just talk mm-hmm. I just need to hear like a voice of love and comfort right now mm-hmm. while I writhe around in bed mm-hmm. And she was like, all right, like, what do you want me to talk about? I was like, anything. Just like, tell me what you did today, whatever. And she's like, well, I talked to a psychic the other day, and which is very not my sister. Mm-hmm. Really? Why? Oh, mom had it as a gift. She didn't want it. Anyway, I said, how did it go? And she was like, it was not good. She only talked about you. Mm-hmm. I was like totally like better all of a sudden yeah yeah (laughs) tell me more (laughs) I'm like what did she say about me and she was like my sister like this is gonna sound like really weird and stupid but do you have like a fake drink that they make for you at like a bar you go to and I was like be more specific you know she's like I don't know she said that uh, there's a bar that you go to a lot and they make um a special fake drink that has a name just for you she's like it's so dumb and I was like well yeah I live across the street from Max Fish all my friends bartend there and they make me a water teeny Mm -hmm. which is water in a martini glass because I at the time I'd been sober for like eight years Mm -hmm. and I was like yeah well you mean a water teeny and she was like what that's what are you that's a thing what what are you talking about you said I was like well they make me a water teeny at Max Fish and she was like shut the fuck up because mm-hmm. she said it was like a water fake name maybe she had even said the name and I'm not remembering she was like it was a water something mm-hmm. she's like you're you're saying that's real mm-hmm. and at the time there's only Facebook yeah. I, I wasn't I had not written about this mm-hmm. there was no Instagram, Twitter, this wasn't public information. It was like a very like weird insider. Yeah. Not even important. Yeah. And she was just like, holy shit. I cannot believe that that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, give me the number of this psychic. Mm -hmm. Give me her email. I want to make an appointment. So I, I I sent her an email. I told her who I was. I, the sister of a woman who you just spoke to recently, my email was like Leslie Orphan at Hotmail or something. Mm-hmm. And I made an appointment. It was 150 bucks, and it was only on the phone, not in person. She only did it on the phone. 
I think it's an hour session. It was at the time an hour session for 150. At the time I was living by myself in the Lower East Side in the midst of breaking up with my boyfriend who was a white rapper named Machine. Mm-hmm. It was not going well. Mm-hmm. And I was doing freelance copywriting, which was, you know, come and go. Sometimes it would be really great and good money and sometimes not. Just didn't really know what was happening with my life, worked retail, whatever. So I get on the phone with this woman and I barely said anything the whole time. She's just in it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you're sober. And I was like, mm-hmm. You know, she's like, you don't have to answer. I'm just going to tell you. Mm-hmm. She named my sobriety date. Mm-hmm. And then she said, do you have a grandparent who's la- whose name starts with A? And I said, well, yeah, both my grandparents were Al and Alice. Mm-hmm. Orphan. Great. So I'm in, mm-hmm. right? But I'm still, because I haven't had good experiences, I'm taking it with like, I'm just taking everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. Like I, I want it to be, I just, I want to figure out like she knew about the water teeny and mm-hmm. like just want to stay open and not judgmental either way. Yeah. So what she proceeds to tell me changed my life. Mm-hmm. And she says, the guy you're with right now, you're in the middle of breaking up with him. She said he's in the, He's a musician in entertainment. She wasn't specific she, like that with that. She wasn't like he's a white rapper. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is not the man for you. This is not the person who you're supposed to be with. It wasn't a waste of time. It just, I'm sensing that you want to get married and have a family, but it, this isn't the guy and you're going to go out with another guy, and but he's not going to be the guy either. Mm-hmm. But it's really important for you to have that relationship because the guy after is going to be the guy that you marry. Mm. And I said, okay. She said, the guy who you go out with after this one right now, it will be a long distance relationship. But she was like, just stay open. Like it might seem at times like, am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? Questioning it. Don't question it. Go with it. Mm. Just follow it. She's like, if you see signs like your favorite number, you have a lucky number, you have a lucky animal who you see all the time, a symbol. Take that as a sign of I'm on the right path, which I do. Mm-hmm. I have a lucky number that I see yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. But I just, she was, I was like, great. Yeah. She's like, don't tell me what it is, whatever. She says, you're a TV writer? And I said, no, I'm just a writer. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I had at that point, it wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Harvard guys in the Simpsons room. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, well, you're going to, I don't know if you ever want, I don't know if you want to do this, but I see you writing for TV. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I thought she meant like in 20 years one day, yeah. like whatever. She goes, um, HBO, mm-hmm. specifically HBO. Wow. I said, wow, sounds mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Love it. She's like, yeah, I see you really doing well in that area. And um you're going to move to L.A. Mm-hmm. And I was like, at this point, I had been to L.A. I think three times in my mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. four. Again, cool, sounds great, near distant future, whatever. Like I was recording it and I was writing stuff down, but it all sounded great mm-hmm. for a life that I had never, that was somebody else's. Yeah, And like, sure, maybe, but mm-hmm. whatever. She's like, yeah, so you're going to go... Back and forth between New York and L.A. for a year until you're eventually going to move there. Mm-hmm. And you'll move and live and work and get married and have a family in Los Angeles. Mm. And, um, you know, she told me. So I was like, great. She told me a lot of other things about my family, some trauma that had been there with me and my parents and stuff that, you know, was right to me but also nothing that I had ever shared or want to share right now but there was like a level of um she was like you had a a, another grandparent not the one that starts with the letter a who really loved you I mean that's my other grandfather I was his Mm -hmm. favorite you know stuff like that and then she said we were talking for a while all that career stuff and she said you know (sighs) 
you're psychic. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? And I was like, I never mm-hmm. said that to anybody, but I did kind of know it. Yeah, And yeah. I said, kind of. And mm-hmm. she was like, yeah. She's like, you're you're psychic. If you want, if you want to strengthen that sense, mm-hmm. you know, read this book. Mm. It's called You Are Psychic. She's like, I know it's like a dumb title, but uh-huh. pretty kind of on the nose title. But she's like, you can work on those skills if you want to strengthen it. But like, you have. Some I, like I see something in you that's the same as me, and it's that. Mm. And and I was like, you know, I f- I was feeling that. Yeah, and I liked hearing that. Yeah, and she was like, yeah, you totally know you have it, and you don't, and you, and I see it. And she's like, don't feel weird about it, and you don't mm-hmm. have to tell people, but like know that you know it's yeah. cool. Like you yeah. work on it and whatever. And I was like. I don't know, it felt good to kind of be validated yeah. for something I had never asked yeah. for. Yeah. Because I did kind of always yeah. know that, but it's like a weird thing. Yeah, like, it's weird. It's weird to admit that. And then we were talking for a little bit longer, and I just, I'll preface by saying that as part of my spiritual program, I pray to a higher power, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And usually pray in the shower. And at the time I was praying in the shower and I felt really guilty about it because I felt like it was cheating. Mm. This is something I never talked to anybody about because it's very private and yeah. personal. Yeah. And I would always pray in the shower and I'd be like, oh, like, sorry, whatever. Mm-hmm. I know that this is like killing two birds with one stone because I would get bored in the shower and mm-hmm. like shaving my legs and I would pray and that was what felt comfortable for me. Yeah. And it was just... I kept doing it and kept feeling guilty about it. Yeah. And then she said, the last thing I'm going to say before I get off the phone is don't stop praying in the shower. Oh, wow. And I was like, tears, chills. What the fuck? Yeah. And she was like, I don't know. I'm just getting that right now. There's something about your relationship with the water. Mm -hmm. And I'm a Pisces. Mm Mm-hmm. But I didn't even say that. She was like, there's something about you and your relationship with water where it is like a safe place and it opens you up. And like, you feel like you're not doing it right. You are. Don't stop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, thank you so much. And so by the end of the phone call, I didn't know if anything she had said was true or false because Mm -hmm. I was still going out with machine Mm -hmm. by myself in the Lower East Side drinking water teenies. But like, I felt really happy yeah i just and i never had felt that after talking to a psychic yeah so the next night i went by myself to see this band play that i had really liked Mm -hmm. they were called the soft pack they don't exist anymore but i like them they were playing right around the corner at the mercury lounge and i thought the guys in the band were really cute Mm -hmm. so i was like i'm gonna and i knew the publicist so Mm -hmm. i was like i'm gonna go and like totally like just introduce myself and mm-hmm. I know the publicist she'll introduce me and like I love that band whatever and I had been I had a crystal in my pocket because mm-hmm. something that I'd also spoken about with the psychic was a holding a carrying a talisman with me mm-hmm. that it would help ground me like a coin or like a crystal or whatever mm-hmm. so I go see this band and I meet the guitarist and we're talking and we're like totally flirting and he's like yeah we're on tour but when we're not I live in LA Mm -hmm. and I was like oh that's so funny because I spoke to a psychic yesterday and she told me I was gonna go out with a guy from LA Mm -hmm. well I ended up going out with Maddie for a year back and forth between Mm -hmm. New York and LA his mom worked at Delta Mm -hmm. so I was able to get like really cheap flights and like standby all the time yeah and um I went out with Maddie for a year back and forth between New York and LA we broke up when I started writing for girls Mm -hmm. which was an HBO show which I started working for like how I was telling you my friend Nicole was like you're gonna do this Mm -hmm. I I thought she meant like you know in 20 years yeah and it was just like it was like a year and a half later. Yeah. Writing for TV, an HBO show. Mm-hmm. Started going out a little bit into girls, started going out with the guy after the guy who I was not the one, mm-hmm. who's now my husband. Mm-hmm. And I never stopped praying in the shower. Yeah. But I mean, it, isn't that cool? It's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. I mean, it's like because 
we we never get that specific information from psychics, you know? It was so specific mm-hmm. and it was so without any agenda or planning on my part. Yeah. Like the next night I met yeah. the guy that would take me to LA back and forth yeah. for a year exactly what she said. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. I think that's really great. And it's like you got what you needed. Yeah. Just to pay attention. I think it's really cool. Sometimes it's like let's just like like look at this as like I needed to pay attention. Like you needed to pay attention to the things that were happening around you for that material like for that to put put in motion. Totally. That's like a really, really good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. You're right. And it is like I didn't need to pay attention and I wasn't mm-hmm. and I don't know if I I think like also in it changing my life is that it's a great reminder mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Like just pay attention and pay and like like she was saying that too. She's like, pay attention to your lucky number when you see it. Like yeah. it's great. It's like Yeah. The universe is like giving you like a little like shout out. Like Yeah. Which is that that is like really being psychic is really tuning in and listening to those those small things like we we have our interests, the things that we like, the things mm-hmm. that we sort of favor for a reason. And yeah. that's that's part of it, you know, maybe to uncover your destiny. I know. That's really nice. It is. Thanks for letting me share all of this. Well, thank you. OK, bye. Thank you. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. Today, from The Onion, we have the incredible Scott Dickers. The, in the 90s in Largo, I remember there was a guy, I think his name was John Schroeder, and he would walk around and they were like, everybody would whisper, oh, he works at The Onion. And then it was like this thing, like The Onion, The Onion. And we had not seen it yet. And I was a late adopter to the internet. <laughs> but uh, then then we started to see The Onion. And it was in a very, it was in a very sort of like, um, special place in comedians' hearts because it was so funny. And is that, do you remember that person? That's very kind of you to say. Uh, that is not a person that I know. So either maybe uh, the he name didn't is work. Wrong. Yeah, you might just have the name wrong. Yeah. Um, because I knew everybody. Yeah. You know, and and have for many years. Yeah. Especially if they were instrumental. But there are so many people who were a freelancer who sold one headline joke to The Onion who parlayed that into a sitcom writing career. Yeah. Countless people. So yeah. I don't know those people. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, unless they were on staff or they were a regular contributor for a long time. Yeah. I wouldn't know them. I think that it was like, um, this was, a, yeah, it was the very beginning. I guess, when did it start? 88. Wow. Fall of 88 was the first issue. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, um, so it was a print publication? Yep. It was a weekly college humor newspaper mm-hmm. and i always wanted it to be a magazine yeah but we couldn't afford a magazine so we Glossy, had to yeah. print it on newsprint in black and white and it was very embarrassing and lame compared to spy magazine which was the, the spy, gold standard of humor of course at the time. spy magazine um jack bulware uh who uh is a san francisco um sort of like writer musician guy he did pieces for them yeah he yeah, was it was it was the writing was so amazing and yeah, so good it was and so I, good yeah i was just embarrassed that, that those were my years of bombing was oh. was doing the onion early <laughs> it's first was it like a zine four or five years no it was a newspaper yeah and so 
we kind of treated it like a magazine, did a lot of wacky college humor. And occasionally we do like a fake news story and it would be like, you know, supermarket tabloid parody type news story. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what it looked like. It was tabloid sized and everything. And we, I realized that that was like the funniest stuff we were doing. And that was how we found our voice was, oh, we're a newspaper. We should be a newspaper parody and we should use only the strict newspaper voice, this AP style. Yeah. And do all our humor through that lens. And mm-hmm. about eight years in, we completely redesigned it and made it look much more like a like a major city daily newspaper uh-huh. than a college humor rag and never broke that voice and always right. did everything in the, unless it was an editorial or a fake ad or something it was yeah. everything was in this world of this is a newspaper yeah and if you picked it up and didn't know it was fake um it would look totally real and you'd be fooled until you started reading it then you'd realize oh this is completely ridiculous and yeah made up. yeah i love that though because i think that the 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 voice really is it is genius and I I read this Reddit it's called Ate the Onion or <laughs> yeah I know that where they people who took it seriously they who believe, should know better yeah, yeah they just believe the story and yeah. then they're like outraged or um, there's also not the onion which is stories that sound like they could be right. part of the onion but they're actually true there's another blog called Literally Unbelievable which mm-hmm. is uh a catalog of all the times where really important people like Congress people, world leaders have taken onion stories as fact. Yes. Yeah. Which yes. is so much fun. That's really like a whole fun. other layer of humor. I mean, there's so many, I mean, there's so many great things like, and it's always the funniest all you like the, some of the, the, the things that are just like the minds of people that work on it. I mean, how did you, find these writers in the beginning or were you writing like initially like how was how was the process did you write it all yourself and then have yeah. people on later so there's a long and a short answer to that but i did write a lot of it in the very beginning i was just a cartoonist for the first like year or so and i did three different cartoons under different pseudonyms and with different drawing styles so it would look like they had this huge stable of cartoonists uh-huh because that was the thing about local college newspapers. They always looked so lame because they had one cartoonist who could draw and do anything. So I wanted to look very impressive in that way. And I occasionally would brainstorm ideas with the two guys who who started it. But then they sold it to me like after one year. They sold it to me and two other people. Mm -hmm. And I became the editor and co-owner. Then I was responsible for everything after that first year, even though I had only helped. And at first I wrote everything and I made the photos and I just did everything and it was you know 14 hour days Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a long long time and then where I found the people it was very much like the formation of a band yeah it was like these weirdos would contact me and Mm -hmm. say I love this can I write for you and I'd say what what do you got yeah show me something and if I thought it was interesting I'd bring them bring them in and try them out and some of them didn't work out but the ones who worked out stayed and they would say, hey, I know a guy who's kind of funny. Or, oh, we all know this guy who works at the grocery store who cracks up the customers, mm-hmm. who's so funny. He used to be in the Arc Improv Theater where Chris Farley came from and Brian Stack came mm-hmm. from. Joan Cusack, we're, we're all in that troupe. And he's like this amazing comedic mind and he works in a grocery store. Let's bring him on yeah. in, you know. And so it was like collecting these people, some of whom knew each other, mm-hmm. and developing this system for writing comedy as a group. Because mm. we didn't know... We were in Madison, Wisconsin. We didn't know how you did that, how you did a writer's room or right. how you did any you know, comedy professionally. I only, I only knew from working with my friends in high school, we would do like skits and videos and movies and radio plays and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of cobbled together this system for trying to come up with the best material out of a group. It's really hard like because you kind of have to whenever people get into a group, they act like chimpanzees mm-hmm. and whoever the alpha is, is going to get all their ideas in regardless of whether they're funny or not. Yeah. So we came up with this merit based system where any idea could be on the front page if, if the, the cleaning lady had a good idea it would go on the front page, mm-hmm. you know, and so ideas names were taken off of everything and everything was voted on mm-hmm. by everyone and no one knew who wrote what. Mm-hmm. So you could say, oh, this idea is really good. This mm-hmm. idea is really bad. And then you'd workshop the idea once you selected the headline. It always started with the headline. Yeah. And yeah, over time, we just developed a really tight-knit group. And the staff didn't change over for 
like 15, 20 years. It was like the same staff. Wow. And then finally, when The Onion moved to New York in 2001, was um, it still didn't change over. All these people from Madison were just plucked out of Madison and dropped in New York. Uh-huh. And then I left and came back in the mid-2000s and started bringing in some new blood. And we brought in all these like New York people who were mm-hmm. different from the Midwestern people. Yeah. Very different. Mm-hmm. Ambitious you know, people who had been interns on talk shows before it was like, you know, Oh, your dad's a preacher. Come Uh on in. You know, like we didn't, there was no connection with the entertainment business or anything. It was just really smart people who were, were bitter and dropped out of college. uh, Many of them and just had a lot to say. Mm. And, but now we were getting like serious comedy people Mm -hmm. who wanted to, but all, I was always very insistent on, I want people who have no experience Mm -hmm. because we did it very differently. And I just wanted people who were a blank slate who I could teach, like how we do a comedy at the onion. Mm -hmm. And so that was really uh, rewarding. And, you know, there's still a culture, like the staff changes over more now. um, And I haven't been there for a few years, but uh, the culture is still very much intact Yeah, where it's this bubble of people who are all. I have a similar uh, mindset. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like the collective onion voice. Yeah. But it still hasn't, it hasn't the essential like message of it or the, uh, the feeling hasn't changed because it is like these news stories that it's, it's like, they're just so perfect and it's not, I appreciate you saying that. but it seems like it's like one person that's like, right. The style of it is like one person. Yeah. And that was very, intentional yeah i wanted the celebrity to be the onion yeah because i had seen so many other comedy publications fail that made the writers into celebrities right like at the lampoon when tom kinney left i mean doug kinney and when um john hughes left people were like oh it's not going to be funny anymore and Mm. i'm going to follow this celebrity writer as they make movies or whatever Mm -hmm. i didn't want that to happen same with spy somebody bought spy and Kurt Anderson and Graydon Carter left and it was like, oh, it's not funny anymore. Yeah. I wanted it to be so if people took a job on a TV show, nobody would know because it would still look like The Onion. It would still have the same thing. The bylines wouldn't change. We would always mix up the names in the staff box. Uh So nobody knew who did what, who was in charge, you know. And so that made, I think that's really helped The Onion survive as a brand where a lot of comedy publications just haven't survived that long. Mad yeah. Magazine is the only one that's close. Cracked, I guess, but they've really evolved into a different thing. Yeah, Cracked is definitely... Cracked has kind of become... Clickbait, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's different. It, it's, just, it's not like with Mad Magazine, there's... Mad Magazine is also, to me, is very rooted in the 60s. Like, it's very still like Alfred E. Newman kind of like... Yeah. Um, Spy versus spy. Like countercultural parody. It has that vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's something about it that's still kind of old fashioned. Yeah. Um, and I th- yeah, I think Cracked is, is like more modern. I, I don't know. Um, but the onion is, it's like the the brilliance of it hasn't hasn't changed. You know, it hasn't shifted. And, it, and I think it's because it's like we're always going to appreciate that kind of like dry news feel. <laughs> I, th- I think so. I mean, there's so many imitators, it's hard to, to differentiate now because so many people are doing that. Mm-hmm. But it uh, makes me happy to hear you say that because, uh, again, that, is, that was the intent. Because I look at it and I see waxing and waning in quality, mm. you know, because I'm so close to it. But to the outside world, I think it, it takes a long time for a publication to suck before people start noticing. (laughs) Well, it's like you almost, but every time they like, like, well, anything like there's like, there's like a big world event. You can't wait for the onions take on it. Yeah. There's, and there's always that, like we're never going to run out of world events. Like those are always going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems fresh. Are there favorites that you have over the years? Like, was there some things that you would just really remember as being your favorite? Oh yeah. So many. Um, one of my favorites was when George W. Bush won the Supreme Court case and uh, was appointed president by mm-hmm. the Supreme Court. We we held off like we didn't publish a lot because it was like two months between the election and when they knew who won mm-hmm. between Bush and Gore. And the headline was a picture of Bush in front of a flag. And the big big headline was Bush colon quote. Our long national nightmare of peace and prosperity is finally over. <laughs> and the whole article, which was written by uh, this guy who worked in a grocery store and mm-hmm. was cracking up customers, who became our head writer, is a very funny guy named Todd Hansen. The article 
basically spelled out what George W. Bush was going to do over the next eight years. Mm-hmm. He was going to find a country to invade and invade it. And yeah. he didn't care that it um, didn't do anything mm-hmm. to us and waste a ton of money. He was going to tank the economy and just basically uh, foretold the next eight years very plainly. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it now, it reads like a history book, like Nostradamus. Yeah. And yeah. it was such... And like that's not that hard. Like if you did some research and saw what his policies were, you knew what he was going to do. Right. right. So, but people look at that who maybe don't think of it that hard and they're like, Oh my God, you guys predicted the future. (laughs) It feels kind of cool. I like when the onion does things that predict the future because it just makes us look really smart. And really sometimes all it takes is a little Wikipedia research and you can know (laughs) enough. Yeah. Another similar story to that, which I love the headline wasn't that funny, but the story is one of my favorites. It was, by it was an editorial by the CEO of the Gillette Razor Company, mm-hmm. and the headline was "Fuck it, we're doing five blades." <laughs> and the story is so funny because he's so cocky, yeah, <laughs> about how you know uh, the competition's doing four blades in an Alice trip. Fuck them, we're not going to get caught with our pants down. We're putting in five blades, two on the side, you know, and all this stuff. And lo and behold, a few months later, Gillette introduces five bladed yeah, razors. Yeah, It was like great. amazing that you, you think you're being hyperbolic. Right. And then the world uh, says, ah, I, I can top that. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's really great. Because that's the gold standard. Real life is always, in my opinion, going to be funnier than anything you can make up. Yeah, exactly. So when you can make up something that it's really funny and people love, and then it happens in real life, and mm-hmm. it's funny in real life, you know you've kind of hit the gold standard of comedy it is yeah it's true i always wonder did you guys ever think about like doing like a cnn like <laughs> like a channel like a 24-hour news channel yeah so in the mid-2000s we started doing web video because Ooh. the bandwidth was at to the point where people could download videos yeah reasonably and other news networks were putting clips of their news online mm-hmm. and so we thought well this is perfect for us we'll do parodies of those yeah and so we started this thing called ONN, Onion News Network, which yeah. was a pretend global CNN type network that had all these channels. We had headline news. We had like family channel. We had all this fake yeah. these channels. And we were just showing clips online. Uh-huh. And we spent so much money on those. We'd spend 25 grand on a three minute video mm-hmm. to make it look like a real news network. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those were really like... People told us, Don't, why are you doing this? Because mm-hmm. The Daily Show kind of has fake news handled on TV. Yeah. And then Colbert came out and they're like, look, he's doing it fine. Mm-hmm. Like, why? <laughs> uh-huh. You can't do any better than that. But we had a different idea. We wanted to do, we wanted to make it seem real. Mm-hmm. So people would see it and, and think it was a real news network. But again, the subjects were insane. Yeah. So we would have, we had this thing called O-SPAN, which was a parody of C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. And you'd have Congress and you'd see a guy giving a speech. And there's a congressman giving a speech about um, the uh, anti-ocular penetration bill, which was the anti-skull fucking bill. Uh-huh. And so he's saying, we have to stop these young people from fucking skulls. You know? <laughs> and it's just bizarre and funny and weird. And it's played so straight. So mm-hmm. if you catch it, you're like, what? did this happen? Yeah. What? And all this. And then the news segments, which were like CNN, same thing. We do these crazy stories like uh, uh, Yum Brands which owns Taco Bell and KFC introduces the feed bag. And it's just uh-huh. this sack, like this horse sack yeah. that goes over your face and all the food is mashed into it. And you mm-hmm. can just walk throughout your day and just, and just mash the food into your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have to bother picking up your food and eating it. So yeah. it's like perfect for the American consumer. Yeah, And it just looked so real and mm-hmm. so believable. That was so much fun. And those won a Peabody. Yeah. Those videos. That's great. <laughs> yeah. No, it was so surprising. Like we used to make jokes about, the Onion winning prestigious journalism awards. Yeah. And then it happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's awesome. (laughs) I know. I think that's really great. Uh, It's so bizarre. I think, yeah, that's the essence of what's so funny about all of the Onion stories is because it is like played so straight and Mm -hmm. and dry that people can't, can't help but you just laugh because it's like so serious. People forget how important the straight man is, um, to to use a gender non-neutral term, is in comedy. Mm-hmm. If you're always just wacky and silly, yeah, it's really tiring. You need that straight contrast for it to work. Yeah, because oftentimes, like when there were comedy duos, a wacky person like Gracie Allen and a straight man like George Burns, mm-hmm. it wasn't her wacky line that got the laugh; it was his reaction that got right. the laugh. So, right. if you're, and also it's, I think it's goes even deeper than that. It's almost like 
the same way a child likes a game of peekaboo. Mm-hmm. They like to know that there's somebody hiding behind something like people love that mm-hmm. to see something and know there's an intelligence behind it that's pretending yeah. not to be there. Yeah. So we're acting all straight and important, but really we're we we're these snickering troublemakers mm-hmm. behind the curtain. Yeah. Like putting on this show like people love that. Yeah. It's a facade. It's like it's an added layer. Mm-hmm. So much humor now is especially online is all like snarky on the nose observational humor where people are just talking about their lives Mm -hmm. and there's no facade right and i learned a lot from mark twain with that because he was a brilliant satirist and Mm -hmm. wrote super funny books and huck finn for example is written in the voice of huck finn so he Mm -hmm. plays a 13 year old character writing the book yeah and it just makes it so much more interesting when you have this very believable 13 year old telling you the story but you know there's this wisdom behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know the machinator behind the curtain, uh, like we were talking about before, pulling the strings and leading you on this journey, mm-hmm. and you feel so comfortable that okay, this this is a master storyteller. Yeah. he's going to take me somewhere awesome. I trust him. Right, and they want that. And mm-hmm. if they don't, if they don't sense it, it just feels very plain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love those layers. There's so many layers to the onion. We used to say any story in the onion is going to be five times funnier than any story in any other publication, even if it's not as funny because of the context. Yeah. It's in the context of a fake newspaper. So you already have this built in straight man. Mm -hmm. And then it uses this character archetype Mm -hmm. from Commedia dell'arte, the, um, braggart captain, which is like Mm -hmm. the bumbling authority. Yes. There's someone who's very important, but they're saying things that are completely ridiculous. Yeah. Like Ron Burgundy. Right. So that's another layer. Mm -hmm. And, and then you usually have irony because the thing you're talking about in the story is something really small and stupid and unimportant, but it's presented as this very important thing. Right. So you already have like three very powerful literary tools of humor at work before you've written word one of the story which is great yeah so um uh maybe that's more (laughs) more than you bargained for in terms of the straight news voice but that's kind of where all that came from i mean because there's there's so much that goes into it now do you have like uh stories where it becomes like whatever donald trump says is fake news like that that they like stories that like people have used like donald trump maybe as like being true that are from the onion yeah so i have really mixed feelings about that whole fake news thing because i remember when the daily show first used that term Mm -hmm. in an ad in the new york times i think for their show Mm -hmm. um you know the leader in fake news or something like that Mm -hmm. and we kind of all cringed we were like oh you don't want to like wink at the audience like that and tell them it's fake it's better to say this is very serious important news yes but they're a different beast you know and ben carlin who worked for us at the onion for a long time went and you know kind of molded that show with john stewart Mm -hmm. and created the colbert show with steven um they're dealing with a different animal and they john stewart smirks at the audience so they can afford to do that a little bit yeah but it was kind of for us at the onion, it was like, Oh, they're crossing a line. Like on our ONN videos, we would never do that. Yeah. We'd always, we, we made the onion news network seem like this global leader in news, new news that will terrify you, <laughs> you know? And so it had to be played totally straight. Yeah. Wacky, but played straight. Yeah. And so then in the 2016 election, when these fake news outlets uh, were putting out just lies like propaganda right. disguised as news. Mm-hmm. That's, how Trump was able to like, you know, start labeling news he didn't like as fake news because there was this real phenomena of propaganda mm-hmm. masquerading as satire. And these people didn't understand what satire was right? because they were labeling their fake news propaganda satire. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that The Onion was like one of the only publications doing satire for like 20 years. Yeah. Uh, spy was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, people forgot that the Greeks did satire in yeah, ancient yeah. Greece. And they don't think of things like The Simpsons as satire. Mm-hmm. And so so much of like literary satire, uh, it just doesn't hit the mainstream. So, so many people can conflate fake news with satire. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if you want to do satire, you have to do AP style and talk about current events. Yes. That's not a thing. Yeah. That's just what The Onion does. Yes. But people literally, like young people who grew up on The Onion, think that's what satire is. Mm-hmm. So people labeled their fake news satire uh, 
mm-hmm. because they didn't understand what satire was. And then Trump could extrapolate that and call news he didn't like fake news. And then the onion got tarred for like, aren't you confusing people by putting out things that aren't real? Yeah. And, you know, contributing to this misinformation problem that we have in society. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, technically the onion is partly at fault for that. <laughs> but it's the audience's fault for like not doing their research. Like if you read yeah. the onion and have half a brain, you, you know, know it's, know a it's joke. fake. Like, you yeah, know, you know, it's you have fake. to. And if you're producing news parody that's so subtle that people can't tell if it's re- real or fake or made up mm-hmm. or supposed to be hilarious or real, that's on you. Or, or it's on the creator if they're not they're not making it funny enough for people to get. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that stuff was. It was just propaganda. It wasn't even funny. Yeah. And then you're just like punking people, but for what? Like, yeah, I'm happy to punk people if it's really funny. Yeah. And they take it seriously and we all get a second laugh yeah. from them getting punked. Yeah. But then at the end, everybody laughs and, and says, ah, you got me. That was a good one. Like, I, that's how that has to end. I, yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. I think that there's also, well, there's certain, and there's certain characters throughout time that I think The Onion has done really well with. I think, well, Trump would be one, of course, but I, mm-hmm. I always love anything about Ben Carson. <laughs> there, there's yeah. something about Ben Carson that he was- He's a fascinating character. He was a very fascinating character and a really good Onion stories about him because yeah. he was so- dumb but he was also brain surgeon yeah like great built-in irony so much about him like there was just you know that that yeah that that i think was like somebody that i wish was more in the news because you you could do more with him yeah well thankfully the world uh is is never wanting for stupid people doing stupid things that's really true and so like now do you still go back and like oversee or you're just not I'm not involved. Not involved. Yeah, so I I left and started this program at the Second City or in partnership with the Second City in Chicago and in partnership with the Onion to train people how to write satire. Mhm. And in line with what I was saying before, it's not how to write fake news, it's how to write satire. So it's more yeah. foundational. But a lot of people have come out of those classes and gotten jobs at the Onion and yeah. Clickhole. And so I've been tangentially involved in that way, like training people how to do it. And now I don't do that anymore. I started this website, howtowritefunny.com, where mm-hmm. I teach people how to write comedy with books and yeah. courses and stuff. Because doing The Onion for so long, I developed a system yeah. that I think really works. Mm-hmm. And I've taught it to people and they've made it work for themselves and gotten good jobs for it. And so now, you know, we're probably a similar age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm at that age where it's like, I don't want to be part of that 12 hour a day grind, you know, right. producing comedy on deadline. That's so rough. It's rough. Yeah. I did it all throughout my twenties, thirties and forties. Like that's, mm-hmm. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So now I just get to be like the professor emeritus of comedy, which is great, which is very fulfilling and wonderful. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. Well, you certainly f- figured out the equation. I mean, it is it is like a mathematical equation. It is. Yeah. You know, there is like a, it's like physics and, and a geometry. There's a geometry to it. Yeah. Which I think is really, I think it's comforting, actually, because people too. think of it as like such a mystery, but it's actually, actually, we can work this out. Yeah. And I love how it attracts geniuses. And I am not one of those people. I, at, in the Onion Writers meeting, I was always the dumbest person in the room because there were people who, ha, who had like genius level IQs, who aced their SATs, like these sorts of people who for whom joke writing was like a mathematical problem. Mm-hmm. How can you make the funniest thing with the fewest possible words? Yeah. And it was a puzzle to them. Yeah. And every day they're trying to come up with these haiku headlines. Mm-hmm. Like one of our guys came up with this headline. He was like one of these Harvard geniuses. And he came up with a three word palindrome headline f- for our book, Artem Century, which looks back at the 20th century through fake front pages of the onion for when Jerry Garcia died and mm-hmm. the headline was head, dead, head, dead. And it's like, <laughs> how brilliant is that? So genius. It's like perfect. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> well, I think, I think you are a genius. Oh, Even though you, that's too kind of you. No, but I think you are. And thank you for bringing the onion to uh, the world. And thank you. Are you welcome. Thank you for coming here and talking to me It has been my today. pleasure. It was a lot of work, thank but it was also a pleasure. I love it. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr.
Cheerios. Powered by ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.